I don't want to sound like I'm glad that other people are suffering as I am, but like it's good to know that like I'm not the only one alone in this hell. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter, at SuicideNoted. You can learn about all kinds of other things related to this podcast, including ways you can support the podcast so that these conversations can happen, and so that, hopefully, more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Check the show notes for that, and of course, a rating and or review on Apple or Spotify. Of course, that helps too. Finally, we're talking about suicide on this podcast. We don't hold back, so please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with C. C lives in New York, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hello, C. Hi, Sean. Where are you? I am in New York. I'm in Long Island currently. What town? Have you heard of Port Jefferson? Yeah, I grew up near there. Oh, really? Did you go to Stony Brook? I did go to Stony Brook. I just graduated. Congrats. Congrats. Thank you so much. Yeah, I grew up in like Smithtown, Comac, which isn't too far. Oh, oh my God. So crazy. (laughs) Now, I'm guessing, and I could be wrong, you didn't grow up there. I did not. Yeah, I did not. I just came here for school and I kind of settled here right now because um, I, I like here and I like the people here. Yeah, after high school, I came here for just for school, but then I just got really attached to the people I work with and I met in school. So yeah, I want to get a job here. Yeah, I am currently working, but I want to get a job that's that makes me enough money. You went to the um, K-pop? <laughs> yeah, of course. Who's your favorite K-pop band? K-pop band. Have you heard of Shiny? I haven't heard of any of them. Oh, really? Okay, so Shiny is literally um basically the generation before BTS. You've heard of BTS, right? No, yeah, yeah, totally. I feel, I feel old these days. Okay, originally from South Korea. How old are you? Oh, yes, I am 22. Oh, yeah, no, totally old. Old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any questions for me? You know, I, I've listened to like a lot of your podcasts and like, uh, again, thank you for making this. And because like it's like for people like me, it's like I don't want to sound like, oh, I, I'm glad that like other people are suffering as I am. But like it's like also like it's good to know that like I'm not the only one. Like I'm not just like alone in this hell. Are you in hell? Well, yeah, life feels like hell. How long, if you know, have you felt that way? So like my life wasn't, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone's life is like just peaceful and just flat, you know. So I had suicidal thoughts since I was like really young. It's just that I think it's like as a young child, it's the fear of death, the fear that I'm missing out on something good in the future that kind of helped me from doing anything. Right. 
it's just this year I was like, okay, so like I I waited enough. I waited long enough. I worked hard enough. Nothing's really getting better. And I don't think there's any guarantee in the future that it's going to be better. So yeah, I was like, okay, I'm leaving now. And that this year was like the first time I actually like acted upon my thoughts. So you're 22. And so it sounds like for, for many years, you've been, can yeah. we use the word ideating, thinking about it seriously? Yeah, thinking about it. What stopped you? Just like I said, it's the fear of just like fear of the pain that's going to come from the action. Like, in other words, you feeling pain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like physical pain. I think that's the hugest part, the physical pain that's going to come with it and the possibility of failing the attempt and, you know, the humiliation coming from that. Mm-hmm. Like It's like all the fears of like what's going to happen if I actually act upon it. But then when mm. the fear of future just was like overriding the fear of death, that's when I actually made an attempt. Yeah, because you're dealing with fear of physical, you're dealing with fear of, like you used the word humiliation. Like if you survive, then what? Or if you succeed, people think things. I actually don't know what it's like in Korea with your family, but I'm going to guess that it's probably judged pretty harshly. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Like a lot of places. And it's like that, you know, I grew up in the country where mental health is considered. So when people say like, I am not able to do this because I am currently like mentally mm-hmm. ill, they just think it's like the matter of weakness and strength. Right. But you don't say that to a person that's like suffering from cancer. Yeah. And if someone is suffering from cancer and they can't go to work or something, they don't say things like you're lazy. You're just not hardworking. You you just don't want to work. Yeah. But when people say things like, I'm really mentally not well and I can't go to work, they're like, okay, you just don't want to work then. So that's like the difference in perspective. As you've gone through your life and stuff has happened, the hard stuff, to have people said stuff like that to you? I wouldn't say like people. First of all, I didn't really open up to people that much. It was my parents. They're like, I mean, you're not the only one who's stressed. Well, everyone is stressed. Mm-hmm. That's like their reaction. Everyone is stressed. It's not just you. They just right. deal with it, which means you have to as well. Both your parents. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I don't really open up to them. Why would you? Yeah, yeah, right. Because like if the only thing they're going to tell me is that I'm just being lazy. Right. Yeah. No, thanks. I'm just hard working and I'm like, I just don't want to work. Then I'm like, okay, then I'm not going to tell you anything. <laughs> but what do you tell them when you talk to them? If you talk to them? This is like similar to what I tell, you know, like psychiatrists as well, because the experiences in the hospital and like the the involuntary hospitalizations taught me like I learned in a hard way what to and what not to say to therapists or psychiatrists in order to prevent future hospitalization. Just giving them the like response that they want, not something that's actually in my like in my head. So like if they ask me like, oh, how are you doing in school? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing great. Like, (laughs) you know, even if I'm not, it's like all about like lie, lie, lie. After lying every time, like I get to this point, I'm like, if like I can't really talk to anyone about what's in my head, then what's the point of like going to my doctor's appointment and all that? And that's how I like started looking at the podcast or like TED Talks about people who are like very honest about their own experiences and who have similar experiences as mine. That's how you found this this podcast? Yeah. It's probably some good TED Talks too seen some like some TED talks about people who've made like multiple attempts in their past. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like this person like is gonna know like what it's like to live in hell. That's when I that's how I kind of like find comfort. It's temporary, but it's you know it's better than nothing. Yeah. I mean 
that's what most people seek out all the time in some way, right? You were feeling this way when you were living in Korea for part of that time too, growing up. Yeah, yeah, of course. At that time, when I was younger, I still had like a hope, yeah. like a little bit of hope that, like, oh, I'm gonna be like, I could be happier if I, you know, get get older and become more independent from my parents. Actually, it's my parent, oh, uh, my mom. My dad was always working, so like he wasn't really involved in this like emotional, verbal, like physical abuse. But um, yeah, it was mainly my mom who had like really high expectation towards me in terms of academics and some achievements. Yeah, I was like, okay, if I become independent as an adult, get separated from her, there is a chance that I could be happier. Right. Now I am actually am independent. And I am separated from my parents. The trauma is still there. Like I have other stressors. Got to this point where I'm like, okay, like bad things just always happen. What did you study? I studied biochemistry. Very interesting. <laughs> I don't really know what it means, but it sounds interesting. And you're still on Long Island. Port Jefferson's a nice little town. Now mm-hmm. let's talk about how many times have you tried to take your life? So I actually got out of hospital on the third, November third. So that was my fourth attempt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's today? Today is November 8th, I believe. How long ago did you reach out? I think I got your response a little after like, um, I went to the hospital. Like, I just woke up in the ICU. I never... So like when I reached out to you, it was when I was like really like feeling like suicidal, I think. I was trying to make something that I can look forward to, which was, you know, being here. And then a few nights after that, I like started drinking and you, you heard of the term like licorice, right? Liquid courage. See, I'm very familiar with it. Yes. Yeah. So I started drinking and then I was, I had my sleeping pills next to me. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't really, I just told you that this is my fourth attempt. My first one was back in April, which is like seven months ago. Right. The thought that came into my head that night, the night of the 15th, a little after I reached out to you via email, I was like, okay, so I was supposed to be dead back in April. It's not a big deal if I just die now. I was already drinking and then, you know, I overdosed my sleeping pills. In April, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. struggling for many years and you're about to finish college, back in April, you overdosed liquid courage as well? Um, Yes. I love that you're using that term. All right. When is the second attempt? Second attempt was June. When was the third attempt? Third attempt was September. So actually the, the term between sec- uh, third and fourth attempt, fourth hospitalizations were like two weeks. In April, you try to end your life with pills. You go to the hospital. June overdose, go to hospital. September overdose? No, September was not overdose, actually. Because um, in September, I no longer had any pills that I could overdose on. Because, you know, if you have, like, history of overdosing to, like, commit suicide, doctors take you off of that medication. How so did you try? I tried to hang myself. But this is going to sound, like, this is going to sound funny. But, like, um, hanging yourself is, like, very painful. Just so. I mean, I would I would guess that, yes. It's very painful. And it's like my survival. I wasn't even drinking that day. So like it's so when you drink, you get kind of like not kind of, but you actually get really long, like really numb to pain. You're talking to a borderline alcoholic, see. I, I know these things. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, um, I wasn't even drinking. I was very sober. And then the second it, the string like touched my neck, it was so painful. I was like, it's my survival instinct. Even if I want to die, it's my body that's like naturally reacting to it. And then I somehow managed to like get that thing off my neck. Yeah, I, I failed. 
I had an appointment with my psychiatrist the day after. I really liked talking to this doctor. We were having conversation, and then I somehow like mentioned that I like I have attempted, but failed. Yeah, and you know, he was like, "Okay, like, like I'm glad that it failed, and I'm glad that you're here. But since I know that you like almost about, you were almost about to kill yourself. Like, I am obligated to send you to the hospital to be evaluated." That was September. Just to be clear, same hospital you had just been in the prior. Yeah, the four hospitals, like they were all the same hospital. Right, and you had been evaluated each time. Yeah, yeah. I get what he's doing, but. I guess you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I know this is no easy solutions here. You, when you get out in September, not long after that, had you already found the podcast by then or you start looking? I, that's when I started looking. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You listen, you decide to reach out. And at some point after reaching out and our back and forth, you mm-hmm. try for a fourth time with pills. Yeah. And you're back in the hospital, the same hospital for a fourth time. Yeah. And you got out last week. On your first, second, and fourth, because I know, I know for the third, your doctor sent you there. Mm-hmm. How did you get to the hospital? Why did you go to the hospital? Okay, so the first attempt, so I overdosed. Yes, like I did drink a lot like prior to the overdose, but this one was actually planned for like the whole month. Yeah, I planned the day I'm going to go and then I planned what I'm going to do, of course. Back then, of course, it was my first attempt, so I didn't have any story history of overdose. So my doctor was able to just prescribe me a month worth of sedative. So I took 40 with the alcohol, like a lot of alcohol. The thing is, it was my, you know, my senior year in college. So I was really hard on myself in terms of studying to the point where I like I threw away my bed to not go to sleep. Where did I sleep? I slept on my desk on the chair. It's like I studied until I passed out. So the thing is, since I didn't have my bed when I was knocked out by the pills, I was just like sleeping on my chair and I woke up vomiting. Mm -hmm. I didn't even feel nauseous. It was just like coming out of my mouth. Yeah. So I think that's the reason why I like didn't end up like dying over sleep. After throwing up, like um, I went back to sleep because, you know, the pills are still in my system. It's still affecting my brain. Just to be clear, when you say you go back to sleep, you went back to sleep on your chair. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Sounds comfortable. Yeah. And then I was knocked out for like, after that, like, um, when I woke up vomiting, it was like 6am. So like, I was knocked out for another like 10 hours. And then I just opened my eyes. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I'm still not dead yet. I was like, really surprised. I was like, Okay, like, why why am I like, okay? (laughs) Why is my heart still beating? And then I was like, kind of pissed. Oh, like, I saw my phone right in front of me. My friend was calling me. And then I noticed that she was blowing off my phone like for the whole entire day and it was already you know like i was knocked out for 10 hours so like it was already like 4 p.m when she called when she was like calling me and then she was like i'm at your door open it and then that's when i noticed that i can't walk Mm. and then i noticed that my vision was like very blurry too i crawled to like open the door for her and then she just like ran into my room and then she saw like the empty bottle of pills. She kind of figured out what was going on. And she was like, hey, like, I'm going to call the ambulance or you just get into my car and go to the hospital with me. Yeah, that's, that was my first hospitalization in my life, like ever hospitalization. And Hang on. Yeah. How, long, how long did you stay there? Two weeks. Comfortable? Helpful? No, no. I mean, like, to be honest, like, I liked the resident doctor that was responsible for taking care of me in there. 
when I was um, when I got sent to the inpatient unit. So people like the doctors there or like social workers, they always ask us like, oh, do you still have suicidal thoughts? Like we don't when we are in there because we want to get out of there. And I think that's a really like weird question to ask. Yeah, because like we first of all, we give them the answers that they want, not the question, yeah. I mean, not the answers that are really in our head. And we just want to get out of there because we are like locked in. It's like asking prisoners, are you ready to go home? No one's going to be like, no, I don't want to go home. I don't want you know, I don't I want to stay in jail like, a little longer than I'm supposed to. Like, no, does time they spent the doctors spend with the one patient 10 minutes? Right, because we don't have resources. So they have one doctor instead of five. We have 10 rooms instead of 50. We <laughs> have not enough ever. So who who loses in that situation? Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are exceptions, but they're usually for very wealthy people. Yeah, the doctor that um, I was talking to, I got really lucky. Like She was really good. She was very compassionate and I really appreciated it. It's just that like I have limited such limited time throughout the day to talk to her. Yeah. So you're waiting, you're sleeping, you're eating. And it's like the same food every single day too. It gets boring and I just like all I think about is just getting out of there. And I just found it as a place that just prolongs my life. Not really a place that like saves my life. So uh, when I left the hospital, I've been in a hospital twice. The last one when I left, I really so clearly remember wanting to get out. I had driven myself there, so we got in my car, and there was a few moments of like freedom. It felt great. And I don't live that far from the hospital. And I remember before I even got home feeling like really petrified because I thought, I'm going to go back to the same little home. Everything's the same. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed. Not good. So you get out, you go home. Now I have a roommate that you know found me after my first attempt. Oh. And she, she's a great friend. And after my first hospitalization, she has been really supportive. She still is. I have a like I have great friends and they have nothing to do with, you know, me wanting to die. When you got back, yeah. you moved after school and in June, try again. You go yeah. back for how long to that hospital? Oh, uh, it was the second attempt. I was only hospitalized for a week. Same doctor? Um, yes. The night before my attempt. So what drove me to that point that like suicide really suicidal point i was crashing really hard from the withdrawal because my doctor my psychiatrist took me off of that sedative that medication that i overdosed on and he was putting me on alternatives but they were not working as well the reason why i was i was getting those medications prescribed was because um panic attacks and it was like very painful like it seems like somebody's just like jumping on my heart and I was just like so done with it. I was like, what, why do I have to go through this every day? I didn't really see the hope of it getting better without that, having that medication again. So I was like, okay, like I know that he's not going to give it to me again. I also can't promise that I'm not going to overdose again. When Right, right, know. right. This time, um, I didn't have that sedative, but like I had like a bunch of like sleeping pills prescribed to me that are not as lethal. But like, I just like took like every single one of them, drank a lot. And then I just like took a month worth of every single one of them. Yeah. I was just hoping it like, it would like some have some kind of like lethal like reaction. Yeah. Again, this friend that found me in my first attempt, she came to my apartment again. Wow. Again, she found like those empty bottles under my desk this time. And she saw like uh, the empty 
glass of alcohol that I was drinking. And this time she just called 911 on me instead of just taking me there. Because I, of course, I refused to go to the hospital. I was like, no. And I even told her, I was like, I didn't take all these. But she didn't believe me, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how I was taken to the hospital. You get out. And yeah, and then I got out. Uh, And then three months later, yeah, I tried to hang myself. It's always in my head that I, I was supposed to be dead, like back in April. Like after that, it's like it's much um, easier to just like act upon my thoughts. I've like I've already kind of been there. I know like it's like I like it's not like I'm like losing my time. It's more like I'm like right now I'm living in like an extra time that was given to me. I would think though that if you feel that way, dating back to April. It would be hard to apply for a job, get up every morning and go to your job. Like, is it hard? I mean, honestly, going to work is not that hard because, first of all, I don't really hate my job that much currently. Uh, But what's actually hard is like taking care of myself. If like the reason for going to work for most people is like mainly because of money, right? Like you need money to you know pay your bills and all that stuff. Even though I think about dying almost every day, this apartment that I'm staying, I have to pay for that. Yes, I could be dead by tomorrow, but like, what if I'm not dead by like next month? I I need to pay the rent for that too. I got you. I got you. See, guys. Yeah. Well, that's like the motivation for me to go to work. And it's also kind of like a distraction from like having those suicidal thoughts for me. My job is like a customer service job. So we have to be very bright and energetic. Yeah. And I see like the same customers every day, pretty much. Most of them are like regulars. So it's like, it's, actually really nice like talking to them and just seeing them every day but it gets to the point where i'm like oh my gosh i hate this but that's how all jobs are a lot of them as we've discussed you had your fourth suicide attempt that was also with pills yeah and this time it was like almost fatal so i was i was kind of mad i was like oh my gosh i was already like almost there so, so they- i was in icu and then i got transferred to like regular medical floor and then when i was medically cleared then that i was transferred to the psychiatry unit so if one of the doctors had asked you while you were being wheeled into that hospital mm-hmm. before we try to save your life do you want us to try to save your life what would you have said oh no of course for me i when i woke up in the like woke up every time during my attempt i was i was mad very mad i failed again I'm still here. I try to, you know, make something that I can look forward to again. So yeah. that's why I reached out again. I was like, oh, maybe it's a good like opportunity for me to talk to someone that's going to say better things than, hey, you need to go seek a mental like health professional. You're, you're aware already that that's an option. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what makes it hard for me to like reach out to people, especially um, yeah, my roommate is my best friend. Like, there's no doubt that she cares about me and she wants the best for me. You know, when I share these thoughts, her conclusion is always like, "Hey, like, go find a psychiatrist. I mean, not go find the therapist. You need to find a better one or something like that." And I'm like, Which, "I'm not going to search every single therapist in Long Island." Exactly. <laughs> this is the ludicrous argument people make. It pisses me off. Oh, there's a gazillion fucking therapists. Should I spend the rest of my life just looking for, like what's happening in between that time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. My fucking God. Yeah. And then, you know, when we kind of get into, you know, conflict, a little bit of argument. She's like, are you really like, are you really trying hard enough? I wouldn't be friends with her. You're a better person than I am. No, I'm serious. I can't deal. Yeah. And then she's like, hey, like, if you don't help yourself, then no one can help you. And I'm like, I, I know. 
Yeah. And I thought I wanted to die and you freaking ruined my plan every single time. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's like the conversation gets this gets to this like kind of pointless point. So I'm like, okay, like who am I supposed to talk to? Because like if I talk to my psychiatrist about like wanting to kill myself, then he, of course he's gonna send back send me back to hospital and the past involuntary hospitalizations taught this me is, what to and what not to say. So right. and this is the thing that I don't hear talked about enough. I'm sure it's talked about is what I mean when I say there's nowhere to go to talk about it because people don't get what I'm saying. They say, well, no, you could talk to a therapist. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. If you go to a therapist and you say certain things. I'm not blaming them. They're within a larger system that if they mm-hmm. want to keep their jobs, they have to do certain <laughs> things. There becomes fewer and fewer people to talk to. Like mm-hmm. your roommate who you have a good relationship with, but you know she's going to say, pick yourself up. She's going to say, try harder. She's going to say, see it. All right. You know that Mm -hmm. naturally, whether you have mental illness or not, whatever you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. a natural, logical, understandable, reasonable response to that would be, I'm not going to engage with them. Certainly not about this stuff. So you have fewer people to talk to and fewer people to talk to. That's how it is for so many people. It's a problem. And it's hard. It's getting harder to be honest and harder to reach out for help. And so people suffer and they die. I'm the crazy one. So yeah, why not? And then you just stop talking. And Once then, in a while, you get light and you find a podcast. We'll be done talking at some point, and then what? Yeah, and like that's why I, you know, needed someone that's gonna say better things than just go find a therapist or like who's actually gonna relate to this with their personal experience. I think you need to go through. It helps to go through something similar, but you don't need to go through this to have empathy and. I think it's easier for people to just like come up with a solution and kind of like have judgment if they didn't really suffer through the same thing. Yeah, I think it's like empathy comes from, you know, personal experience um, for sure. So just to be clear, see, if you got pregnant Mm -hmm. and you were in pain, I couldn't be empathetic because I haven't been pregnant. People can do better. Yes, you probably don't know the pain, but you can be like more compassionate. Um, People, I think people just like try to come up with a solution and then they get mad at us. We don't like listen to their solutions or we don't like um, take that into account or something like that. But the solutions that they come up with, like we know that those are solutions. It's not like we're doing a math problem where like X is something, (laughs) Y equals something like, no. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's absurd, really. We know those are solutions, but those solutions are not the best solutions for us. And that's why I'm telling you these things. Most of the time we know them. Most of the times we've tried them. We're adults. There's reasons we might not be trying them. And mm-hmm. when you offer un- particularly unsolicited advice or solutions, you're really fucking insulting. And the reason you're treating me like a three-year-old, probably, if we're going to get really honest, is that's what you think of me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want you to fix, thi- like, fix things for me. Like, I really don't expect you to. But see, you don't have a say in the matter. What do you know? That's what they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And kind of like get the guilt like Maybe. off their shoulder. I don't know if you're enjoying this as much as I am, but I like talking about this. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's not a, like an easy topic to talk about, like even with psychiatrists, of course. What I'm saying is I really like being mean to people. That's a problem. Excuse me for a second. <laughs> I don't think I like being mean. It's just mm-hmm. I'm so tired of this rhetoric, yeah. this garbage. It's garbage. It's yeah. harmful. And I don't think I'm the only one talking about it. Certainly I'm not, but... Mm-hmm. please 
got to be a little stubborn here. There's no middle ground. You suck at this. Get better. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Or just fucking say, I don't want to get better and I know I'm doing harm and walk away. I'd, I'd respect that more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the conversation gets, yeah, gets to that point, like exactly the, to the point where you just mentioned. And, you know, I go like, hey, like, do you think I don't know? I knew that you were going to just sit there and blame me for not trying harder right. and not finding a therapist. What you needed, you weren't getting. You're already struggling. It's already hard. Things are mm-hmm. already difficult. Mm-hmm. Now you're using your energy to like, try to explain to someone how they're not helping you. That's yeah. where your energy is going. You're already fucking tired. Now yeah. it's got to go to you. And I'm like trying <laughs> to convince you that when mm-hmm. you tell me to do this, that, and the other thing, or you're mm-hmm. giving me these absurd things like mm-hmm. pull yourself up by your bootstrap, it's much easier for me to just stop the conversation. This is tiring. Exactly. It's becoming about you. The conversation just becomes something like that we never wanted, something that we probably like shouldn't have had. And then, you know, I regret like even talking to them about it i would just be like i can't just i can't have a relationship with you that's a big problem as you might imagine you're better at that sounds like at least with one person now let me ask you this question you uh you got out for the fourth time recently at some point does the hospital say you need long-term care oh yes of course um the the attending physician that was taking care of me actually she was like um you heard of the term pilgrim the long-term hospitalization some kind of like um community or people who need like long-term care and you never know when they're going to get out so it's kind of like the jail for people who are mentally ill and she was like hey like i'm seriously considering sending you there Mm. and i was like what while i was hospitalized this time for the two weeks i was like doing my my hardest to look like i'm doing so much better and i have like so much passion towards my life because I really wanted to avoid that hospitalization. First of all, I don't know when I'm going to get out once I go there. What's the point of being alive if you're going to be locked in somewhere like that? You know, like it's like it's not the quantity that matters. It's the quality. And I feel like this is like one of the problems when it comes to like mental health. Like, you know, to a stage four cancer patient, you don't inject them something if they refuse treatment. But like when it comes to like suicide, like suicide attempts, like depression, the physicians have more power over your body and your life just yep. because you're labeled as mentally ill or suicidal. That's what really drove me crazy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so am I not considered a human because I'm mentally ill? Well, like, do you want a real answer to that or do you want a fake answer? I think you're very human, but you know how some people think. They yeah. don't tell you that. That is true. That is mm-hmm. how they feel. And uh, because the only way to justify the way they operate in the world or the decisions they make or the words that come out of their mouths, the only way mm-hmm. to justify that is, is if they think you're either not human or not entirely human. You can't do those things and think someone's human. It doesn't add up, period. I'm on a roll today, see? Yeah. <laughs> That's like what really drove me crazy Like when I was in the hospital. And when I was told that I'm just going to get transferred against my will to the to the psych unit. yeah. Again, let's like, be really clear what C just said. Whether she was crazy or not going in, what drove her crazy was the place itself. Yeah. The nursing assistants, they open our doors while we are asleep every 15 minutes just to check if we are like all in the room. And I'm like, right. first of all, we don't even have windows in there. Like, where do you think I'm going to go? Yeah, every time they slam the door, it's like it wakes me up and it's so hard to like sleep in there too. And then doctors ask me every day in the morning, they're like, oh, did you sleep well last night? I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> Not. 
sleep isn't important. I know your roommate knows about all of your attempts. Mm-hmm. Other than her, and I don't mean anybody in medicine, the medical mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else know about them? Um, yes, there is my other friend who I'm pretty close to. She's not my roommate. She doesn't live with me, but um, she is also my coworker. Yeah, she was also like told about my hospitalization, and she visited me like too when I was in the hospital. So like, yeah, and my roommate's boyfriend, he knows because he's always with her. How many people know that we're talking right now at 9 p.m.? No one. You're 22. Mm-hmm. April, June, September, mm-hmm. October. Are you going to try again this year? Next year? I, I mean, I think that's a good question, actually. I really don't know. Because like, when I got out of the hospital um, in April, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm not coming back here again. Like, I'm not going like, to make another attempt anytime soon. But then, you know, it happened in June. And then, you know in september and then after september i was like oh my gosh like I, like i'm not going back there again i'm so done i really believed my attempt in october was gonna be uh, my last one and it wasn't but um so i don't know if i'm gonna like make another attempt anytime soon like so far nothing like super terrible happened thankfully not to like jinx myself yeah which is good um but like the thought it's like i am a person who has been dealing with chronic suicidal ideation if i were to die like tomorrow i don't think i'll be so sad or upset about anything if somebody just like tells me somebody above who can like predict the future tells me that i'm gonna be dead in like two hours or something i don't think i'm gonna be like so upset about it if that makes sense well if you've heard the podcast you might have heard the pink and purple pill question because given what you shared earlier about the fear of hurting mm-hmm. people or getting hurt in the act of trying to end your life, mm-hmm. if tonight I gave you a pill, you go to sleep, you're not in pain, and everybody else, and you die, and mm-hmm. nobody thinks it's a suicide, you just unfortunately died in your sleep, would you take the pill? Like tonight? I'll give you till tomorrow also. Okay, yeah. yeah if I have the pill in my hand, I think Ooh. I'll make sure to um like t- take care of like my bank account and stuff like that. Cause I do have a beneficiary, which is my sister. All right. Let, let, let's make this simpler. Uh, it's all taken care of. Yeah. And do take care of those things. And then yeah, probably like consider taking the pill. Yeah. Because the whole point of the question is I, I really just want to gauge. You want out, you want out, you know? And if it's like, yeah, if no pain is guaranteed, then guaranteed. I think that's going to be like, Oh my gosh, finally. In <laughs> fact, I'll even throw in like a great dream before you fade off forever. I also have like mixed feelings when it comes to like suicide. Yeah. If my loved one were to like want to die, like it's kind of ironic that like I think I would want to, you know, I would be really sad and I would be really worried and yeah. I would want to stop them. And I, but the thing is like I do get really mad when some, someone is trying to like hold me hostage in this world against my will. Yeah. I think that's why it's hard to like put myself in someone else's shoe. Do either of your parents know about any of this? Uh, my parents know. They do know that I visit a psychiatrist, but they just think it's because of like anxiety. They like surprisingly they weren't being too like judgmental about it. But that's all they know. If they I don't know what their response is gonna be. I don't really even want to think about it. If they somehow find out that I made like four attempts so far, or even just one attempt, I feel like they're gonna be like what did we not do for you Yeah, that like made you want to not be in this world? Did you ever receive a diagnosis that you think is correct? 
Um, yeah, so I am diagnosed with panic disorder and um, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, which I think is like associated with the panic disorder because that they are both like anxiety disorders. I hear about people dying all the time in media and everywhere. And I, and I was actually thinking the other day, I was like, why is it so hard for me to die when I'm hearing about all these people dying in this world? <laughs> when When is it going to be my turn? Did you did you have an answer to that question or no? Oh no, of course not. You know, my friends and you know, like doctors in the hospital, like that I talked to, like they say things like, you know, like, don't you think there's no reason that you're still alive? Like, don't you think like um you were meant to be in this world? And like, I don't know. Like when whenever they say that, I'm like, well, like I don't know, I guess. Koreans a uh, predominantly Christian country? It's mostly either like Catholic or Christian. You grew up that way? Um, so my mom is actually Christian. Yeah, we were, my sister and I were both kind of forced to go to church. So we never had like freedom to choose our religion or anything. Yeah, I'm actually an atheist. Like I don't really believe in God on any kind of high power. I don't really believe in anything that I can not physically see, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And sister the same way? My sister, I think so. Like I, all I know is that she's not religious. Is she in Korea? Uh, my sister, no, she also goes to the university that I went to. Oh, really? Yeah, so she's younger. She's four years younger than me. So she actually just went to college and I just graduated. Same school? Yeah, same school. Stony Brook? Yeah. Wait, do you so, talk to your sister much? Like, she's like a person that I like, I love the most in this world. Yeah, I do have a really good relationship with her. And since we grew up by, you know, same parents, she's the one who can relate to me the most i think when it comes to like childhood trauma and all that i think it's gonna be the case for uh, almost everyone if you're an older sibling like you don't really want to talk to your younger sibling about like how you wanted to kill yourself she knows that i visit psychiatrists like she knows about my diagnosis she doesn't know the severity of it for this hospitalization the overdose i made it sound like it was an accident so i don't think she knows or maybe she could be pretending not to know. Does anything help you feel better? This doesn't, you know, like stay for long, but being able to keep tell myself that, oh, like you're not the only one going through this. There are people who understand this. Mm -hmm. And like right now, like I like I really am happy that I'm like able to talk to you today. Cause, Me too. Like I really need to like kind of like let it out instead of having to worry about, oh my gosh, what but what if this person like just calls 911 on me and track down my location or something like that yeah because like uh the second my after my second attempt like when the 911 came to my house like they literally handcuffed me for being suicidal and they like restrained me on this like horrifying bed like you know what i'm talking about right yeah. and then i was lying down with my my arms on my back it was hurting a lot yeah and then i was like what am i getting this kind of treatment for like being like um, i wasn't trying to like kill anyone first of all a great question. And the fact that they just like broke into my house after my friend like called yeah. 911. How is that legal? Like, how is that okay? That's a great question. How is that legal? And it goes back to, well, I don't know if it is. I assume it is. Mm -hmm. But once that the S word comes up, I feel like they can just do anything and get away with it. Anything. Break into your house, really... push you down, punch you in the face, handcuffs, treat you like shit. And it's okay. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what? Yeah. 
yeah it like yeah the second hospitalization was actually like the most traumatic one and i was like really upset at my friend about this but you know like her response is like hey like i i genuinely don't want you to die like what do you think i could have done at that point yeah right you know to some extent she's right she is it's like it and it's not her fault that the police officers were acting that way to me they right should have known better way to handle mentally ill people yeah that's when i noticed that like also like going back to like how people have more power over our life and our body when it comes to mental health yeah you can just like label someone as mentally ill and then you you're just like you have more authority over them and in other contexts you would be criminally punished Mm -hmm. and arguably should be and that's Mm -hmm. not an understatement or that's not an overstatement that's how Mm -hmm. i feel your behavior is wrong and bad and immoral and unethical and not okay when i was in the hospital when i was like full of grudge towards them i was like actually thinking about like should i sue them and then i was like wait like the money that i'm gonna spend on the lawsuit is gonna be like of course i'm like labeled as quote unquote mentally ill it's gonna be so much easier for them to get out of it Uh, 100 percent. so i was like you know what like i'm not gonna waste my time and energy for this did you have any thoughts like i had where you you wanted to kill anybody no never yeah i just like i don't blame you though like i didn't want to kill anybody but i became more suicidal after that hospitalization i was like okay like this gives me more reason to die but but see if you would just listen to us and do what we say we would help you yeah and they're like they and then you know they blame us for being like for making everything difficult by resisting being handcuffed you know and like after like that hospitalization i noticed that my my whole wrist was like bruised and then they held me really like really tight too and those police officers i barely weigh like 100 pounds and those police officers they were like at least like 200 pounds each one of them three of them just like trying to like get me yeah it was horrifying terrifying too fucking wish that they could be sued those people sometimes who like want that kind of power who becomes police officers well that's a whole other conversation but i won't disagree yes for sure and i'm from long island i know the type i know those guys so Mm -hmm. i'll leave it at that Um, are there any myths or misconceptions about any of the stuff we've talked about or any of this stuff at all that you want to discuss or dispel uh when people have loved ones that are chronically suicidal they just um trying to provide them with solution but i think it's very important not to just like jump to like give them solution that's really not what they want or what they're even expecting from you and they know that there is no instant fix to this problem like you're not just gonna become like not suicidal within a day and we know that too like we know that and this is what my roommate also likes to like lecture me on Mm. um like hey like this is life. There's no instant fix. I wish there was. Something, like something like that. She says things like that. I'm like, do you think I don't know? Right. If I want an instant pleasure, I would be into like gambling or some kind of like illegal drugs like heroin. But I'm not. Yeah. Because that's not what I want. Right. You're struggling. Yeah. You don't. Have, you could. You could do other things that would be more pleasurable, which is proof that you're trying. It's just weird. The whole thing is fucking weird. I don't want to go over it. Again. It's just amazing to me. The and then at the end, they're like, more. okay, I don't know what else to tell you. And I'm like, all right, this is why I didn't want to tell you anything in the first place. I've had people, particularly like a little older, 
generation, you know, we didn't learn this. I don't know how, I don't know anything about this. We didn't learn how to talk like this. I don't know, but I get it. That makes it yeah. hard. You could learn most people, unless you have like a major, I don't know, neurological or some of the kind of condition that prevents you from learning, which is a real thing sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You could learn, you learn other things. It's what you prioritize. Mm-hmm. You wanted to learn how to, uh, I don't know, play pickleball. You figured it out. You wanted to learn, uh, I don't know, how to play guitar. You wanted to learn you how to figure out how to do your taxes. You figured it out. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm more bitter to than I usually am. But I'm glad. I like it. It feels good for me, too. <laughs> get it out. I got to get it out. <laughs> right. Like, you were kind of like my last resort of, like, getting it out. So, wait, what happens when we get off the Zoom call here and tonight and tomorrow and the next day if I'm your last resort? I don't think I'm gonna like you know like really talk about this with like an other person. That um, that's what I meant by uh, like last resort. Yeah, and like because I've been having just like having these in my mind like this whole time and just bottling it up. Yeah, I was never this comfortable like to talk about this topic. Yeah, I'm feeling like a lot like more comfortable than before for sure. I think it's gonna like kind of um, push me forward. And since I'm feeling better, I don't think I'm gonna like think about making another attempt anytime soon it comes and goes like the thought um when i'm feeling you know like shitty my brain just tells me like okay worse comes to worse i'm just gonna kill myself yeah yeah, i get it that's how i've been like spending my nights these days when i couldn't fall asleep i just like listen to your podcast i'm like oh my gosh like i've been there oh my gosh like i know what they're talking about oh my god i'm not alone you sound so american when you say oh my god Country girl from Korea sounding all American. You know what? I'm actually, I, I actually uh, got my citizenship last year. So I actually oh, am an American. Congratulations. How does that work? How'd you get that? Oh, the citizenship. So my dad actually works here. He's an engineer. We were able to get the green card. And I think several years after getting the green card, you are qualified to take the citizenship test. And if you pass the exam, then that's when you become a citizen. Suicide rate's pretty high in South Korea. Yeah, yeah, it is, especially among like teenagers and twenties. And we are, we hear about suicides a lot. When, um, especially you know the the height of the buildings in the United States. Like you know, schools are usually just like up to like second floor, as far as I know. I mean, in in, in some cities, it it's different, but sure. Oh yeah, right, right. I used to live in like eleventh floor when I was in South Korea, and then. Yeah, whenever I was getting suicidal and like I just looked down, I there was a lot of times I wish I just could like throw myself outside. But, you know, I was young, I was petrified of death back then. And then I still kind of like had hope that future is going to be better if I survive. So I think that's also what kind of like pushed me off the edge. I'm like, because I was always telling myself, if I survive this, it's going to be better. Okay, mm-hmm. but if this, this is over. I'm going to be better. Like I'm going to be a better place or things will be um, much better or less painful. But then we just learned that bad things just happen all the time. Bad things always happen. There are always things that drive us crazy. That seems like it's not going to get fixed. Well, let me ask you one last question. You'd said earlier that one of the things you make these small goals or Mm -hmm. small things to look forward to is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. This is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have anything else lined up? Maybe tomorrow, next week, like a little thing or a big thing that to look forward to? That's a really good question. Actually, I was thinking about that today too. I was like, okay, so I have this uh, meeting, like Zoom meeting to go to. What should I plan for tomorrow? My sister didn't get her driver's license yet. 
I just wrote that down the list. I was like, okay, until I see my sister getting her license, to be realistic, um, like once I'm dead, like my car is going to become hers. Like I, I need to see her getting the license. So I know that she's going to be able to drive if I'm not around anymore. Well, you are a good big sister. That is clear. It's 9.30. What are you going to do before you sleep? I actually didn't listen to, due to the hospitalization, of course, um, didn't listen to the last three weeks of podcast. Oh, well, I hope you listen and I hope you like them, if it helps. And I hope you enjoy my Suffolk County, or continue to, <laughs> whatever that looks like. It's where I'm from. Wishing you good things. Me too. I really appreciate this. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Thanks, you. Bye-bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to C in New York, my old stomping grounds, Suffolk County, Long Island. Thank you, C. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes to learn a whole lot more about this podcast. And rate and review, please, Suicide Noted in Apple or Spotify. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that is all for episode number 189. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I will talk to you soon.